This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to the Monday, October 9th, 2017 NBA edition of On the Daily, brought to you by Rotoviz Radio. I'm Matt Lamarca, who you can find on Twitter at Matt Lamarca, and I'm joined today by Armando Marsal, who you can find on Twitter at Armando underscore Marsal. Armando is going to be a regular contributor this season at Rotoviz. And you can also find his work over at Football Diehards and Fan Vice. Uh, Armando, it's a pleasure to have you this season. How's everything going? Everything is going well, Matt. Um, looking forward to joining the team. And, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I'm excited about this NBA season and, and ready to dig in and jump right into it. You know, there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, expecting a, a love a good deal sail into the season at banana republic factory's mega labor day sale entire store 50 to 70 percent off dresses from 1999 polos from 1699 find your nearest store or shop online only at banana republic factory a, a nice and fun football um sorry nba season over here at rotoviz and uh a lot of i know i know we have a lot of content planned out so uh looking forward to that yeah, absolutely. Um, this is going to be our second division preview pod. We're going to be looking at the Southeast Division in the Eastern Conference. If you missed the first one, that was out on Thursday, and we looked at the Atlantic Division. I, I recommend going back and checking that out. Uh, and as Armando mentioned, we're going to have a ton of content this season. So I just want to mention the Rotoviz NBA Pass. Uh, you're going to have access to our Plays of the Day article seven times a week. We'll have GPP Plays articles season-long coverage, a live injury blog, and an entire analytics team devoted to looking into uh, trends and things of that nature. Uh, if you're a listener to the show, you can get a 30% discount to that pass through our podcast homepage. That's rotoviz.com slash NBA podcast. Uh, and we also ask that you please rate and review the show on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, so with that being said, let's dive right in. Let's start with the Washington Wizards. They are coached by Scott Brooks. This is his second year now with the Wizards after spending a few years over in Oklahoma City. They were 49-33 and 33 last year, despite getting off to a pretty slow start. Uh, offensively, they were ninth in the, in the NBA with a efficiency of 108.5 per 100 possessions. Defensive efficiency was 20th at 106.9, and they were 11th in pace at 99.7 possessions per game. Uh, Vegas projects them for 48 wins this year, minus 125 on the over, and they are favorites to win their division at minus 250 this year. For the Eastern Conference, they have the third best odds at plus 1,200 and the eighth best odds to win the title 
at plus 5,000. Additions-wise and departures, really not a ton changing on this team. They're adding in Tim Frazier, Jody Meeks, and Mike Scott, and only losing Boyan Bogdanovich, Brandon Jennings, and Trey Burke. So basically bringing back the entire core from last season's roster. So let's start with John Wall. He is the most important player on this team, I believe. Best player. Do you think that he can improve upon what he did last year? Uh, I certainly think so. I mean, he led the Southeastern Division with a 30.2% usage rate. Uh, Like you mentioned, there's no really major additions or major departures here for the Wizards. So I, I can see him, you know, picking up where he left off last season. And and he is the heart of this team. You know, he definitely is the superstar of the team. Uh, the, the top scorer uh, pretty much does everything. So I, I think in a double-double is pretty much a guarantee here for him. Uh, and, and he had he, he stuffs the stat sheet on a night-and-night basis uh, with assists, three-pointers, steals, good field goal percentage, good free-throw percentage, points. He does a little bit of everything. Superstar player, in my opinion, here. And I just don't see how he's going to you know, take a big hit in the negative or even in the positive. I just think we can see him right where he was last season, um, this upcoming season. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that what he did last year and the year prior are are basically what you can expect for him this year. Um, He's averaged double-digit assists now for three straight seasons, close to two steals a night. The one big limitation on his game is he doesn't shoot it well from the perimeter. And I think for him... To make a big step forward, he would have to really develop a a three-point shot that was a consistent threat for opposing defenses. And until I see that, I don't know if I can necessarily buy that it's going to happen. I'm sure he's worked on it in the offseason. And we have seen players uh, develop it. Another guy for a different team in this division we're going to talk about later, I think, would be a good example of that. But I think as long as he's limited with the three-pointer, this is kind of what you can expect from him. And that's not a bad thing. He's obviously one of the the premier point guards in the league. But I think that, you know, he he's going to lack the true elite status unless he can develop a three-pointer. Yeah, I have to agree with that. You know, I, I think that that does limit his upside to a certain extent. Uh, but then again, you know, it's tough to find that perfect player. Um, if, if he does develop that, he, he can become one of the best players in, in the league as far uh, from a fantasy standpoint, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about his running mate, Bradley Beal? What are your thoughts on him? I mean, he is coming off of career year in points, three point, three point uh, made, three point attempts per game. Uh, my concern with him is just there's not enough peripheral stats. Uh, if you're looking for points, if you're looking for three-pointers, uh, certainly someone that's going to uh, light up the stat sheet in those categories. It just doesn't do enough. But he was you know, second amongst Washington with a 26.4% usage rate. So I definitely think that there is upside. It's just a matter of consistency in the peripheral stats. And that's what concerns me. He is going to be warranting a high draft pick. Uh, simply because of name value and what he brings to the table as far as points and three-pointers. Uh, but he's one of these players when you're playing a, a category league where you're, you're looking at you know six, seven, eight different categories. He doesn't really do that much uh, in those categories. So someone I do like, someone in, in, in DFS I am going to be targeting when the price is right in, in paste-up matchups, uh, but not someone that I – is is a must by any means you know Washington like you mentioned was 11th in pace so that does help his strength 
but it's it's just not a, a player where I think extremely extremely high of uh, you know from a, a season long perspective. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think he's basically priced at his ceiling for season long leagues. The big concern that I have, and it really has nothing to do with him, it's it's just the fact that this guy has really never been able to stay on the court full time. You know, he played 77 games last year. That was the first time in three seasons that he had played over 65, I want to say. So I don't like the idea of banking a high draft pick on him, given his injury history. And I think that that's a concern when you look at the Wizards projection overall as well. You know, their their over-under for the season, we said, was set at 48 and a half wins. They only won 49 games last season with a full year of Bradley Beal. If something were to happen to him, I think it would be difficult for them to get back to that threshold, which is why overall I'm kind of selling the over-under on this team. I'm looking to go under, and, and I think I might be selling, you know, Bradley Beal just in general. And I think that's a good point. You know, if you look at his career, um, he's played over 70 games just twice in five years. So that is a big concern when you're paying a very, very high price tag. And like I mentioned, you're, you're paying for a ceiling. You're not paying You're not paying here for a floor. Uh, you're not paying for, you know, someone that's going to help you in every single category when it comes to season-long leagues. So um, I, I, I'm not willing to pay the price. But I can see why someone would pay the price. For sure. Um, I, I've, I'm working on a series of articles looking at particularly redraft leagues and particularly if you're going to punt one of the categories. And I think that Bradley Beal fits in certain formats. But overall, I think that, like you said, unless you really think he can cut into Wall's usage rate and become sort of the de facto number one option on this team, I don't think that he's you know, a viable option for me when I'm picking in the third round or so. Yeah, I agree completely. Let's move on to Otto Porter. He re-signed for a big contract in the offseason. I think a a lot of people were surprised at how much money he got, but I think this is a pretty versatile player and an important player for this Wizards team. Um, What what do you think here? Yeah, I'm a big, big uh, Porter fan. Um, I I drafted him in my season long last year. I just think he's a a well-rounded player. You know, I think he could do a little bit of everything. He, He could shoot the three. He'll grab rebounds. He can score points, uh, grab steals here, high field goal percentage, high field percentage. And on occasionally, he'll throw in some blocks on, you know, on any given game. So um, what I would like to see out of him is a little higher usage rate. I actually would actually like to see him jump ahead of, you know, uh, Bradley Buehler. I don't think it's going to happen, but I I would like to see that because I think he can have such a such a high ceiling uh, if he plays to his capabilities um, for the Wizards. Um, I know he's dealing with an injury now. Uh, not sure, you know, what to take out. I'm not sure how it's going to affect him to begin the season. But I still really like Porter long term. I like the entire, you know, when you're looking at the entire season, I think he 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 comes at a good value. And um, I, I don't think we've seen his ceiling just yet. He is coming off a season where he played the most minutes out of his career, scored the most points. Um, and grab the most rebounds here. So he he is coming co- kind of of a career year, but I do expect him to continue, uh, carry on from what we saw last year and continue to move forward um, in his career. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of Porter. Again, I think if you're doing certain builds for season-long leagues where you're punting a particular category, Porter's a guy who fits a lot of teams. His only real weakness would be the assist category. I think he only averaged one and a half assists per game. 
but he gave you virtually elite production in every other uh, counting category across the board. Even his percentages were awesome, 51% from the field and 43% from three, which are, you know, really, really good for somebody uh, that you're going to take at the small forward position. Those are almost like, you know, big man type of numbers for your field goal percentage category. I do think that on a DFS side, I'm probably a little, he's a guy that I don't tend my, don't tend to play a lot because his usage rate is so low. It was only 15.1% last year. And I, I don't really see that rising a ton, to be honest, because I do think that Beal and, and Wall are going to need the ball more than he does. He's more of a, you know, peripheral stats guy, definitely can space the floor with his three point shooting, but I don't see him as someone who's going to be looking to attack the rim or anything like that. So, I think that the role that, that he played last year is pretty much perfectly suited for his game. And so that's why I don't think, you know, outside of when he's priced down or in a really good matchup, Porter's going to be somebody I look at a ton in, in DFS circles. Yeah, to me, it, it's going to be on, on a, you know, pretty much a price base. Uh, sometimes his price does dip to a point where you kind of have to consider him, cons- you know, when, when, when you think of, the upside, like you mentioned, peripheral stats, sometimes that low price, and even if his usage is not that high, you look at those peripheral stats, and that that establishes a floor as well as some upside. Because if he does go off on that particular game for a ton of points, then you're going to hit a ceiling game from him. And at a reasonable price, you you should be exceeding expectations at that point. So to me, um, is yes, I'm not I'm not going to go and force him into my lineups but on a night where he's reasonably priced in a paced up matchup uh where i i think he can um exceed expectations i I definitely will target him yeah like you said he he has shown to have a huge ceiling so um somebody for sure to keep in mind in gpps because of his defensive influence on the ball all right let's switch over to the big men uh any interest there for either gortat markeith morris anybody like that I mean, I look at Gortat as a, you know, a player where he is, he is what he is. He's, you know, pretty much a double-double uh, center, not a ton of upside, reasonable floor, uh, someone that if I can get him at, at a good value in my in my season-long draft, so that I, I will go ahead and consider because he will give you, you know, field goal percentage. He will give you some blocks. Um, from a DFS standpoint, I mean, to me, that's very, very dependent on price. Uh, and, and you're going to hear me say that a lot because <laughs> when you're doing your DFS lineups, that's, that's what it's about. It's about the price. It's about matchups. You have to really, really take all of that into consideration. So from a season long standpoint, if, uh, you know, I'm looking for a center where I'm just trying to fill in, um, maybe a, a, a number two, number three center, not someone that I'm banking on completely. Uh, but someone that I feel comfortable playing on a night-to-night basis or if, if I suffer an injury, someone I feel fine plugging in, he is that guy. You know, I did see his minutes dip a little bit last season, which is a little bit concerning. And, and you know, and there was on, on nights on back-to-back where he really wasn't um, on the court as much, um, which which to me is concerning. But overall, he still averaged 31.2 minutes per game, uh, one of his highest of his career. So he's still playing a decent amount. And I do think that, you know, when you're looking at what he does, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 points, 9 rebounds, 9 points, 10 rebounds. And if you're expecting anything else from him, I, I think you're, you're, look, you're, you're expecting too much, in my opinion. Yeah, I even feel like those estimations might be a little high for him this year. You mentioned his minutes sort of waning off towards the end of the year. 
that definitely coincided with Jan Mahimi coming back from injury. I think that it could definitely be closer to a 50-50 split between those two guys this season. So uh, Gortat's probably somebody that, again, if I'm going to play him, it would be like in a cash game type of setting, like you said, where, you know, I'm really only looking to get a cheap double-double from him. But I think more often than not this year, we're going to see him play less than 30 minutes. So I, I honestly don't know if there's a big man on this team that I have a ton of interest in outside of maybe Jason Smith early in the season if Markeith Morris is going to miss some time with an injury. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree there. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Mahimi will definitely cut into Gortat's uh, playing time this season, and we, we saw that towards the end of last year. All right, let's talk a quick X factor for this team. What do you think? I think Porter's season will have a big impact into what this Washington Wizards team does. If if he breaks out and has you know a career season. I think we can see this Washington Wizards do a lot of damage in the East. I mean, there if you look at it, there's not a ton of competition. You look at Cleveland, you look at Boston, and then there really isn't much else. So, um, you know, maybe Milwaukee. But uh, I think there is some uh, – some. you have to place some emphasis on what Porter does this season. And I think his, his season will determine a lot on what the Washington uh, Wizards do. Yeah, you don't have to sell me on Porter. I love Otto Porter. I'm right there with you. Um, he's honestly too important, I think, to even be called an X Factor. I think that, like you're saying, they, they really are going to go as Porter goes at times this year. So I like that call a lot. Uh, I'm actually going to say that Tim Frazier is a bit of an X Factor for this team. I thought that John Wall kind of wore down last year in the playoffs in particular. He played the eighth most minutes in the league last year. He averaged 36.4 per game. I honestly think it might be important to try and, and establish a, ba- a bit of a backup point guard this year and maybe focus a little bit more on playing for the playoffs. Um, that's obviously, I don't think Tim Frazier is going to have a ton of fantasy value or anything like that. You know, even though we have seen him in the past deliver some usable games, and if Wall were to rest, I think he's definitely a capable, you know, punt play starter. But I just think that it might be smart for this team to maybe look to limit Wall's minutes a tiny bit. And I think that's a great call. You know, like you mentioned, Tim Frazier has been serviceable in the past. We've seen it before. So, well, we saw it with New Orleans last year. And uh, I, I think that was something that the, the Wizards were missing last year. You know, a true backup point guard that was capable of, you know, running run, running the point. Um, so with Tim Frazier there, I think he can definitely be an X factor for this Wizards team. All right, and now we did this on the first podcast, and it was fun, so I'm going to keep it going. Let's do a take for the 2017 season. You can get as hot as you want here. All right, I mean, you said it wasn't going to happen, but I think Porter becomes the number two uh, guy on this Washington Wizards team. I just think that the ceiling is there. I I think sky's the limit for him. I think he is. I really think that highly of him. I think he could do a little bit of everything. I think he does become the number two guy on this offense uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, I like to call I in this article that I'm writing about punting the assist category. If you play in a league, a categories league that um, also counts turnovers, Porter was a, a borderline first round value last year, given his value in all the other categories. So I don't think it's uh, unreasonable for him to, to be the second best fantasy asset on the Wizards. I don't know if he'll ever match Beal, you know, on a point basis, but in all the other categories, he's already better than him. So I like that call. I like Porter. 
uh, a lot, as we've mentioned a few times now. Um, my my prediction here is that the Wizards will not win this division. So I, I can see that. I just I think that, that they have too much riding on Beal's health, and that if he were to go down and miss any time, it's too much of an uphill battle. So uh, I don't ever want to wish injury on somebody, but I just think that expecting another 77 games from Bradley Beal this season would be a lot given what we've seen from him in the past. Yeah, I, I can actually, I, I have to agree with you. Uh, I have someone else winning this division and, and we'll get into that. I'm sure it might be the next team we talk about, but uh, I do have someone else winning this division. All right, well, let's segue then into the Miami Heat. Eric Spolstra <laughs> is the head coach, 10th year with the team. Um, I was surprised when I saw that, but he's one of the longest tenured coaches in the NBA now. They were 41 and 41 last year, but it really was a tale of two half seasons. They went 10 and 31 in their first 41 games and then 31 and 10 in the second half. So um, really, they were one of the best teams in the league down the stretch. They just were so bad in the first half that they couldn't make the playoffs. Uh, Offensive wise, they were 16th in the league with a 105.2 offensive efficiency. They were 104.1 on the defensive end, which was fifth best in the league. Pace wise, 21st. Uh, Vegas this year has them pegged at 43 and a half wins with the over at minus 125. And they are plus 350 to win the division, plus 2,800 to win the East, and plus 10,000 to win the title. Another team with not a ton of uh, turnover. They really only added Kelly Olinick and rookie Bam Adebayo. Those are the only two real guys that could make an impact, I would say, this season. And the departures were Luke Babbitt, Josh McRoberts, and Willie Reed. So really no one of interest there. So let's get into the questions here. Which which half are you leaning more towards this team being in 2017? Is this the team that was 30, 31 and 10 or the 10 and 31 team? I think we're going to see more of the second half team, the 31 and 10 team. Uh, like you mentioned, there was not a lot of turnover here. Uh, Luke Babbitt, Josh McRoberts, Willie Reed, none of which really had a huge uh, role, huge impact on this on this Miami Heat team. So Definitely like to see, you know, Justice Winslow come back. Uh, you, you, when you when you look at this, when this team overall, um, you're looking at a team that has a new identity, you know, a, a, a new core. Uh, we back in the day we had Wade, Bosch, LeBron. That's no longer the case now. We're we're looking at a new core. Uh, so this is a team I expect to pick up right where they left off last season. I think they have something to play for. I think they have something to prove. Um, and I think they're hungry. You know, I think this is a team that they believe in each other. They're pushing each other. Um, so I, I do like them uh, quite a bit here. And, and we're going to get to the hot take. But this is a team I have a lot of uh, high expectations for this season. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little more skeptical than you are. But let's <laughs> let's dive into the players and we'll talk <laughs> about it. Why? So let's let's start with Hassan Whiteside. Um, I've been, I've owned him a lot since he came into the league in seasonal leagues and obviously in DFS. And he can be a bit of a frustrating guy to own. There are some nights where he doesn't play a ton of minutes or he gets into foul trouble or he just doesn't feel like playing basketball for some reason. Um, what are your expectations for him this year? I mean, I agree with you. I think he is someone that is going to frustrate fantasy owners on, on any given night, but you can't deny his ceiling. You can't deny what he brings to the table. He's he's someone that can give you a triple double with points, rebounds, and blocks. So, um, someone I, I definitely think 
is worth considering as a, one of the top picks, you know, as far as the center position is concerned. Um, I, I do think he's going to continue to grow, continue to, to um, re, you know, produce solid fantasy numbers for fantasy owners. He is going to hurt you a free throw, you know, but that, that is expected from uh, big men uh, in the league. So someone I have high expectations for, someone I think should take that leadership role that we saw last year and, and carry that over to this season and continue to grow as a player and produce big numbers. Um, like I mentioned, the only thing he's really going to hurt you in is uh free throw percentage. Um, he's, he's, his best year was in 2015 where he shot, uh, you know, 650 from the free throw. Yeah. He's a perfect punt free throw asset. And um, in terms of DFS, the block upside and the rebound upside, like you mentioned, is just tremendous. He can give you a 20-20 game. He can give you the triple-double with blocks, like you mentioned. Um, he was first in the league with rebounds last year. He averaged over 14 a game, and he was fifth in blocks. And that was averaging almost one less block than he did the season prior. So he's got a, as much upside in those two categories as just about anybody. Um, I do worry a little bit. It seemed like last year they uh, kind of moved towards more of a pace and space type offense, and that at times left Whiteside on the bench for longer than you might imagine for a player of his caliber. But again, as far as upside goes, just a a huge, huge ceiling every single time he takes the court. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I have to agree with you there. What about the backcourt guys? Uh, Deion Waiters was kind of fun last year. You know, he he had his renaissance, and, and there was a while where he was playing as good as just about anybody in basketball, but... We're still buying Goran Dragic, obviously, as being the, you know, the focal point of the Heat offense here, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you know, I think you know very well what you're going to get out of Dragic season in, season out. Um, he's that that player that's going to play his heart out. I mean, I, I love watching him play. I, I'm, I'm from Miami. I, I I really really enjoy having him on the court. Um, you know, he played 33.7 minutes per game, averaged 23 20.3 points per game. Uh, dished out nearly six assists per game. So you that's what you're going to get out of him. Uh, very similar numbers in the assist game over the last three three or four seasons. So um, don't expect anything less out of him this year. As far as Deion Waiters is concerned, uh, I, think we're, I think we're seeing what he's really capable of doing. I want to see it one more year before I fully uh, believe in it and fully invest in it. So I might not have a lot of exposure to him in my season-long leagues. And uh, from a from a DFS standpoint, to me, he is someone that I will target when I feel he, he is going to be low-owned in tournaments because the upside is there like we saw several times last season. So the Heat do believe in him. The Heat do think that he is going to, you know, continue where he left off last year and continue to, you know, be that guy that they rely on late in games. Uh, but I do want to see a little bit more of it before I – completely feel confident and comfortable with it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, Dragic, to me, had an incredibly underrated season last year. If you look at what he did, it was virtually identical to what he did back in Phoenix in 2013 when he was third-team All-NBA. I mean, almost identical down to the points, assists, and uh, shooting percentages. So I think he had a really great year with Miami. If they had made the playoffs, he would have been a bit of a bigger story, but... He's kind of flying under the radar. So I think he's a excellent pick in seasonal leagues. And I think depending on his salary, he's obviously going to be somebody that we can look to target 
uh, in, in DFS, specifically in pace up games. You know, that was the one sort of downside with Miami was that they pay, they played at a relatively slower pace. So if you see a spot where, where you think that they're going to run a little bit more, I think Dragic is a great play. Waiters was fun, but he's strictly like a GPP type of guy to me, especially given all the wings that Miami has. You know, we met, you mentioned they're getting back Justice Winslow. They still have Josh Richardson. They have Tyler Johnson, although he does play some backup point guard. They even have, you know, Rodney Magruder still. So there's a lot of guys here who figured to get some playing time this year. And so I, I'm going to be a little bit careful with Deion Waiters. He, if, if Dragic is out, he always gets a nice bump. He has really good splits with and without Dragic. So that's something to monitor and keep in the back of your head. But I think when the team's at full strength, it's just going to be a little bit too crowded for me to look to play him. Yeah, I agree. And another guy that, you know, that we, we can mention there and that it's Wayne Anderton in the wing. So I, I do think it is a crowded, uh, you know, position here for the Heat. So. Like you mentioned, to me, it's going to be very situational based. And that's kind of why I'm I'm limiting my exposure in season long leagues, just because I rather someone who is going to give me a little bit more on a night to night basis than, you know, taking that that player where, uh, yeah, maybe one or two nights out of the week, he's going to erupt. But the rest of the nights, he's really going to be, you know, MIA for me. Right. All right. Let's talk X Factor. To me, it's Justin Winslow. I, I, you know, we, we've been waiting to see if he can develop. We've been waiting to see if he can just take that next step in his NBA career. And it hasn't happened yet. In order for this team to maybe take that next step, I think Winslow needs to take that next step. So if he can develop and get to that point where the Heat expect, you know, him to be or, or where most people have expected him to be that, that next, you know, level uh, of play that that he is capable of or at least it's projected that he's capable of if he can get there I think that maybe the heat can take that next step forward yeah he's obviously a very important piece for them you know he was a top 10 pick in the draft and has definitely been a disappointment he missed the majority of last season so what he can give them this year is going to be key for them I, I agree with you there 100 percent um my x factor is Kelly Olnick who they just took from the Celtics. They really shot the three last year. Um, the Heat did down the stretch. They were 10th post All-Star break in most threes attempted per game, and they shot the fifth highest percentage in the league at 38.3% over that time frame. So I think that Kelly Olenek is just another guy that can fit into their, their floor spacing lineup and give them some uh, perimeter-oriented production from the big man spots. They didn't really have that last year with obviously Whiteside at center, but even at power forward, you know, James Johnson, for all the good things that he does, he really can't shoot the three very well. Um, you know, Josh McRoberts barely played at all for them. And, you know, guys like uh, Luke Babbitt were just, just terrible all season. So having a competent, you know, four or five option who can hit some threes and keep their spacing going, I think is going to be a, a big thing, a big deal for this offense this year. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, I really have to agree with you there because I think that, that he does add a different dynamic to this team that they didn't have before. Um, big man that can shoot, from, you know, the three kind of opens up the the, the space here in, in the middle of the court. So definitely a big X factor for the Heat um, this season as well, in my opinion. 
All right, so let's now do our hot take here. I'm going to start because it kind of t- ties into your X factor. I'm going to say that, <laughs> that Justice Winslow averages less than 20 minutes a game for this team this year. Now, I don't know if that's plausible given how much they've invested in him, but I really think if they're looking to do what's best for the team, that they will bring him off the bench and kind of limit his uh, you know, output, at least early in the season. His shooting numbers last year were just atrocious. 35.6% from the field, only 20% from three, and sub-70% at the line. This guy is just not a good shooter at the moment. And if they're going to play, you know, sort of pace and space and look to shoot threes, he really is going to gonna put a crimp in their offense because they can sag off of him similar to how guys do with Andre Roberson in Oakland. I'm sorry, Oklahoma City, or uh, a guy like Tony Allen used to be in Memphis. So unless just, uh, Justice Winslow can take a huge step forward this year, I think that ultimately the Heat will need to limit his minutes this season. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see why why you're taking that, you know, that kind of that angle here. And and I don't disagree with you because it is true. You know, he, he was very, very poor from you know, for, as far as shooting is concerned. Um, but this is a team that, you know, they they're pri- they they pride themselves on defense. And I think that's where they're going to need Winslow. I think they're going to need his defensive play here. I think they're going to need him to, like I mentioned, they're going to need him to develop as an offensive player as well in order for to make it work. But his defense is, I think, what's going to keep him on the court this season. Yeah, I can buy that. I mean, again, like he's a top 10 pick. A guy with a lot, you know, a pretty strong pedigree. So I, I do think it's not like all of a sudden he's just going to fall out of the rotation. But um, I really think that, you know, it's a big season for him in terms of his development. So I guess we're kind of in agreement there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and, and like you mentioned, I mean, if this team does, you know, if, if they do change their pace this year, if they do kind of transition to that, you know, maybe that's why they got a Linux, like, like you mentioned, but if they do transition to this team that they're not going to start, you know, shooting the three and focusing on, you know, f- paced up games, then yes, I think Winslow will take a step back. But um, might hurt, might hurt the, you know, the team as far as a def- defensive standpoint, in, in my opinion here. Right. Okay. So as far as my hot take for the Heat, um, I think they're going to, you know, <laughs> I think this is going to be a team that finishes top three in the East. I think they have enough weapons. I think they have enough depth. Um, and I think that it, it, it's just maybe they're not filled with superstars, but I think as a team in general, uh, they have a lot of things that uh, bold well. And I think this is a team that has something to play for this season, a ship on the shoulder, uh, for lack of better words, thinking of what they missed out on last season, you know, nearly making the playoffs. And then this is a young, young group. Uh, that that they, I think they want to play for something. You know, I follow a lot of these people on social media, kind of read a lot about the Miami Heat because I, I, I am a local here in Miami. So um, I, I do see that these guys really, really have something to prove this season. So I do expect them to finish top three in the East. Uh, maybe that's shooting a little too high, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Yeah, I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility. And I think that if they do finish there, it'll be... Um, in no small part due to what Eric Spolstra does. I think that he, you know, was perennially underrated when the team had LeBron and, and Wade and Bosch. And he's just one of the best coaches in the league. So I think that 
whatever he feels like he needs to do to put these guys in the best place to succeed is what will ultimately happen. Yeah, I think, and I think that's well said. I think he is probably the most underrated coach in the NBA. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. All right, let's move on to the Atlanta Hawks. They are coached by Mike Budenholzer. This is his fifth year with the team. Last year, they were 43-39. and 39. Uh, Not good offensively at only 102.3 on the offensive efficiency. That was uh, 27th in the league. But defensively, they were fourth at 103.1 points per 100 possessions. Uh, pace-wise, they were 10th at 99.8. They've lost a lot of players this year. Uh, they lost Paul Millsap, Dwight Howard, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Pavo Cephalosha, and really didn't do a ton to replace those guys. I guess their biggest offseason acquisitions are, are Marco Pellinelli, Dwayne Dedman, and, and rookie John Collins. So uh, Vegas has projected, projected them to take a huge hit this season. Their over-under is only at 25.5 wins, and they're plus 5,000 to win the division, plus 30,000 to win the East and plus 100,000 to win the title. So one of the bleaker outlooks of all the teams that we've looked at here and that we will look at this season. So uh, with all those guys gone, it really only leaves Dennis Schroeder in terms of you know guys who were important for them last year who are back with the starting lineup this year. Do you think he's ready to sort of be the focal point of the Hawks offense? I, I just don't think there's a, a choice for him. Uh, I think <laughs> right. he's going he to have to do yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I think he better be. And last year, you know, he did lead the team in usage with a 27.6% usage rate. Um, so I do think he is capable. You know, I do think he is capable. You said that, you know, like you mentioned, they did play at the 10th fastest pace in the league. So I think that bowls well for him. It's just a matter of, you know, our defense is going to be able to key on him now that there is just absolutely nothing else, uh, you know, in Atlanta, or at least not much else in Atlanta. So uh, I do expect him to see a huge, huge, uh, you know, at 27.6, that was pretty high. I think that's going to increase this season season simply because of the lack of talent uh, on on the uh, Hawks uh, side of the ball. And um, so, you know, from from that perspective, I just think there's no choice. He is going to have to kind of take this team and put them on their back and, and go with it. Yeah, so just to give you an example of how high his usage might go, he played only 99 minutes last year without Millsap, Hardaway Jr., or Dwight Howard on the court, but his usage rate in that time frame was 39.2%. So I wouldn't expect it to be that high for a full season. You know, that would be Russell Westbrookian if it was, but I could certainly see him being north of 30% here with all of those guys gone now 
and without a ton of offense being brought back in around to replace them. He averaged 1.27 DK points per minute in those situations as well. So I think that early on in the season, at least if he's not priced up, you know, over 7, 8K on DraftKings, I could see myself definitely being interested in him, uh, assuming that the matchup isn't brutal. So uh, the other good thing about Schroeder and, and this Hawks team is that he was an absolute sieve on the defensive end last year. And so we can fire up point guards at will against him. Um, Atlanta allowed the third most points over expectation per the Fantasy Labs plus minus uh, tool. So his plus minus allowed was uh, the third worst in the league to point guards. So, uh, and that was with Dwight Howard protecting the rim. They obviously have lost that too. So that could even get worse this season. So I'm very excited to roster Schroeder and I'm also very excited to roster players going against him this year. Yeah, I, I agree there, I, and I, I think you made a great point. I think early on in the season, it's something to b- keep a very close eye on as far as his price is concerned. Because if it is where we saw it early last season, kind of, uh, you know, that mid, you know, six, low seven k range, I think it's that time where you kind of have to just play him and play him and play him until that price goes up and to his uh, points uh, or, or his production uh, as as it catches up to him. Anybody else on this team that you're really looking for? Let, let's start with the the wing players because I think they do have a couple of intriguing options there. Yeah, I mean, I think Kent Bazemore makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think you're going to see him uh, kind of take a, a leap forward this season. You know, as a number two guy uh, on this on this uh, offense here, he he only averaged 26.9 minutes per game last season, but I do think that that's going to increase this year just because. Uh, the lack of bodies, like you know, mentioned earlier. Uh, I do think he's a good defensive player. I think he's going to contribute in points, uh, steals. Uh, the boards weren't all there, but in 2015, he did average 5.1 rebounds per game. So we could see something of that nature. Um, he did average 3.6 uh, three-point attempts per game that season. So I, I do think he's going to contribute peripherals but not a ton. Like He's not going to have a high ceiling with these peripherals, but it is going to be enough to uh, make him valuable considering where he's being taken in drafts this season and considering the usage bump I expect from him uh, uh, in this offense. Yeah, so I like Baysmore. I'm with you there. I think particularly if you need three-pointers late in the draft, he's a good target. But the guy that I really like is Torian Prince. He's where I'm pushing my chips in here on the Hawks wing players. The defensive stats should be a lock for him. He was sort of drafted as, you know, like a 3 and D type of specialist. But if the preseason has been any sort of indication, he's also going to be a pretty big factor in the offense this year. Um, He scored 10 points against the Pistons on Friday in only 17 minutes. And in their game prior, he had 15 points in 23 minutes. So I I really think that this could be a big year for Tayshaun Prince. uh, Torian Prince. Sorry, Tayshaun Prince. Is is gone from the league. Um, I re- I actually read that today. I was looking at it. I was like, I got confused as well when I saw the depth charts. I was like, wait a minute. So it it can get confusing. So uh, he didn't play a ton last year, but he did see nine games with at least thirty minutes on the floor, and he averaged twenty one point eight DK points in those games. So I think he should routinely play thirty plus minutes on this team. So I think again, this is another guy early in the season if he's priced at a fair point that I'm definitely going to be looking to to roster quite a bit and certainly in my season long drafts if I can get him late 
and I need some defensive statistics, he's going to be somebody that I look for for sure. Yeah, and that makes to me that makes a lot of sense because I I do think they're 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 both going to be on the court a fair amount, so uh, I, they're probably going to have them at the two and the three uh, to start the season. So uh, good call on Prince there. I do think that there is definitely some upside. Uh, we didn't see a ton of him like you mentioned last season, but I think while he was on the court, he was productive, and you know, and and I think this season he they're just going to expect more out of him. So definitely someone to be targeting in my opinion late rounds in your fantasy drafts. All right, so when I saw our outline, you had written Dwayne Dedman on there about seven <laughs> times. You underlined it. You put it in bold. Uh, I'm right there with you on Dedman, so why don't you go ahead and, and sell the people on Dwayne Dedman this year as a cheap center for the Hawks? Yeah, I mean, you look at what he did last season in a limited time, uh, 17.5 minutes per game, but five points, 6.5 boards, nearly a block per game, high High field goal percentage at uh, 622%. Uh, decent free throw percent for a center. I mean, nearly 700%. We saw in 2015, 750%. Yes, it, it, it is a limited role. It might That might reduce over the course of a long season. But um, you're getting him very cheap. He is someone that uh, has shown that he can drain a, th- a three here and there. Um, is going to be able to help you with steals. Doesn't turn the ball over at all. Um, it doesn't really seem to get into too much foul trouble. So someone that holds a lot of value when you're looking at, you know, what this team is, what they should, how they should use him, his minutes, his usage here. Um, I do expect a lot of him uh, for for this uh, Hawks uh, team. So I like him at the price you're getting him. I think early in the season he's going to be way way underpriced in DFS. So someone I'm going to be kind of keen on and uh investing in early in the season i think yeah i'm i i really like deadman uh, i also think it's kind of an interesting fit that he's going from san antonio to atlanta who's coached by mike budenholzer who's a greg greg popovich disciple so he's going to be in a familiar system to him at least to an extent which i think should help early in the season um if he does have a guy that's going to challenge him. I think it's going to be the rookie John Collins, who is my X factor for this team. Um, he was sort of a rebound guy in college. He averaged 9.8 per game, which was 21st in the country. And he did that in 26.6 minutes. Um, he's been impressive in, in the preseason and in summer league ball. He just looks like a, a, you know, a hustle rebound guy. So I could see him getting more and more minutes as the season goes on. I don't think he'll necessarily be a huge factor early, but he's just somebody to keep your mind on, especially if you need, you know, rebounding in a season long league as the uh, season goes on. Correct. Yeah. And, and I agree. I, I do think that, you know, that might be the only guy that's going to affect him. Uh, but like you mentioned, if it is, it's going to be later on in the season. I don't think it's going to be any time early in the season. I, I do expect you know, Devin to have a solidified role and and be a big part of what the Hawks do early in the season. All right. Um, who's your X factor for the team? It's going to be Devin to me. I mean, this is a team that they lost a lot, uh, especially in the, in the front court. They, they lost a lot of talent. So they're going to have to make up with it somehow. So I do think Deadman is going to be that guy that has to pick up that slack. And in order for this team to even stand a chance to be relevant, they're, they're going to need a big season out of him, in my opinion, this year. All right, and let's get to the bold predictions. 
I mean, I I think Demon's going to be, and, and I don't mean to sound redundant here, but I just you know in this in this team I do have high expectations from. I do think Demon is going to exceed expectations by by a lot. You know, I do think uh, considering where he's going in in fantasy drafts right now, I think you're getting a huge huge discount of what he's going to be worth at the end of the season. So um, I'm I'm going to be investing in in him quite a bit simply because I think he is going to be a good. Uh, fancy point per minute guy when it comes to DFS early on as well as what he's going to do uh, from a season-long standpoint in this offense. I think, you know, the rebounds are going to be there. I think he's going to be pretty much a double-double uh, at a very cheap, cheap price that you're getting him at this time. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, my my hot take on this team is I don't think the Hawks are going to be as bad as everybody wants to make them out to be. Uh, I know they have terrible, you know, Vegas projection and things like that. But I think that they're well coached. I think that Dennis Schroeder is ready to, you know, sort of make the leap here and become, you know, a borderline all-star candidate in my opinion. And I think they have some intriguing young guys with, with Baysmore and Prince. So I'm not saying that they're going to have a huge impact. I'm not predicting them to make the playoffs or anything like that. But I think that they can contend for the eight seed in the East. I think that you know, they're closer to the eight seed than they are to the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. You know, I think the East is is very weak, you know, once you get to that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seeding. Um, I think it's it's pretty much a free fall. So I definitely think that that's a good take. That is a hot take because, you know, like you mentioned, Vegas is expecting them to be uh, very bad this season. So um, it wouldn't surprise me either simply because of how weak the East is, though. Right. All right, next up, the Charlotte Hornets. They are coached by Steve Clifford. This is his fifth year with the team. Uh, last year was a bit of a down year for them. They were 36 and 46. However, their numbers, underlying numbers, suggested that they probably should have been better than that. Uh, they were uh, 106.4 points per 100 possessions, which is 14th in the league, 106.1 on the defensive end, which was also 14th in the league, and then their pace was 97.8, which was 19th. Uh, this year, Vegas has them pegged to make a pretty nice jump. The over-under is 42.5 wins, and the over on that is minus 130. So there's definitely been a little bit of sharp action, it seems like, on the over. Uh, they're plus 600 to win the division, plus 10,000 to win the East, and plus uh, 50,000 to win the title. They brought in Dwight Howard this year and then drafted a couple of guys in Malik Monk and Dwayne Bacon on the wing. They also brought in Michael Carter-Williams as a backup point guard. And no real key debarchers. They did lose Marco Bellinelli. Uh, they lost Ramon Sessions and Brian Roberts and then Miles Plumley at the center position. But overall, the core is going to be back intact here. The big news, obviously, Nick Batum uh, went down with an injury. I believe I saw that he's going to be out for 8 to 12 weeks. So that definitely leaves a void for this Hornets team that somebody can fill. Uh, let's start, though, with Kemba Walker. What do you think uh, about his perspectives for this fantasy season? I mean, if you look at his numbers, he, he's coming off career best in field goal percentage, uh, points per game, uh, three-point three percentage, uh, three-point attempts, three-point made per game. So coming off a big season, you know, uh, I expect him to continue uh, where he left off last year. I think he is someone that kind of goes under the radar as far as from a fantasy standpoint, just because he, you know, he plays in a team that, that they play a little bit less, you know, a little bit a slower pace, uh, a little bit 
uh, a team that doesn't really have too much. You don't you don't hear them scoring many you know points on a night to night basis. But Kemba Walker is one of those point guards that to me uh, does a little bit of everything and does a little bit of everything really good. Uh, he's not a double double guy by any means, but he is a good source of steals, uh, assists, points. Uh, does have a decent field goal percentage. At least the last two seasons have been shooting over 400, um, which for a point guard sometimes that is pretty decent. And he isn't going to hurt you in the free throw averaging. Uh, last year it was 847, and he's been over 800 the last four seasons. So I do like him uh, quite a bit. Doesn't turn the ball over as much as you would expect a point guard to turn the ball over. Uh, just 2.1 turnovers per game last season. Uh, 2.1 the season before, 1.6 the season before that. So it's not someone that's going to give you three, four, or five turnovers on a night-to-night basis. So I, I, I expect him to continue where he left off last season and have another big, uh, big year. You know, uh, coming off a pretty much career year, I can see that carrying over to this season. Yeah, I think the three-point shooting has been key for him. This is the guy that I mentioned that if John Wall could improve his three-point shooting, like Kemba has improved his there would be no way to stop him. John Wall would automatically be like one of the best players in the league. Uh, but Kemba, like you said, brought it up to 39.9% free throw, sh- uh, three point shooting last year on a career high 7.6 attempts. And that was being, you know, roughly a 30% three point shooter when entering the league. So he's worked really hard there to uh, add that to his game. And it's made him just a much tougher cover on the defensive end. Two things I want to just talk about here quickly with Kemba. Uh, first, he has some of the most drastic home road splits in basketball. He averaged uh, approximately 30 DK points per game at home compared to under 36 on the road. So he's somebody that for sure when he's at home, you want to give him a bump up in the rankings and probably bump him down a bit when he is playing on the road. Um, the other thing is that I, I uh, just assumed that without Nick Batum, he would be somebody that would see a huge bump. But his numbers were actually virtually identical with or without Batum on the court last season. So he averaged 1.14 DK points per minute with Batum on or off the court. And his usage was 28.8% with him on and 29.8% with him off. So I don't think all of a sudden it's like Kemba is going to get this massive boost playing without Batum. And I think that it's possible that the narrative around him will be that he will. So I could see for that reason Kemba being somebody that I'm off at least early in the season if he's going to have elevated ownership, you know, being that Batum is not on the roster at the moment. Yeah, I I agree. I I I looked into that as well and his the numbers aren't really a drastic change. Um in fact, we'll we'll get into him now when we talk about the wing players, but I think Jeremy Lamb sees a a, a bigger boost here in usage. Um and I think he's going to be the one that benefits the most from Batum being sidelined. Yeah, I love Jeremy Lamb. Um, he's a hundred percent somebody that is going to be an auto play until he's like I don't know six K on DraftKings maybe. Um, this is per Justin Fam, who you can follow on Twitter at jfan. Um, he averaged thirty one point one DK points per game last season in games where he averaged uh at least twenty eight minutes. So. He is just a uh, super productive player when he sees the court. Part of that is because he's one of the best rebounding guards in the league. He averaged 8.3 boards per 36 minutes last season, which is just a number you don't see very often. So uh, I love Lamb. I think that he's somebody for sure that I'm going to be investing a lot in early in the year. 
Yeah, I think he's going to have a, a, a significant role early in the season, you know, at least for the first eight to 12 weeks. And I think if he does play well during that, that time span, I think he's going to be able to justify more playing time throughout the season. So someone that I, I agree with you, I think I'm going to be investing in early in the season, especially in DFS. He's probably going to be very, very cheap uh, to start the season. So uh, definitely someone, yes, kind of low floor. But there is a, a, a nice ceiling as well. So someone I think makes a lot of sense, someone that's going to have a big role. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's already been announced that he's going to be uh, starting, you know, uh, during this time now that. Yeah. In fact, it, uh, Coach St- Steve Clifford said Jeremy Lamb will move into the start lineup with Batum out. So, you know, he's going to get the start. He's going to get the minutes. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, based on the numbers, the, the, the usage rate does go up with Batum on the side. So uh, definitely expect some nice things out of Lamb, uh, at least to begin the season. I love Jeremy Lamb. A- anybody else that you're interested in for this team? Um, I have some interest in Michael Kidd, Gilchrist. Uh, you know, we, we I haven't seen his ceiling uh, yet. I think we can see – I don't want to say it's a huge ceiling, but I think he offers, you know – uh, a lot as far as peripherals, he can, he can rebound, uh, he can steal, he can block. So uh, from that kind of standpoint, if he's going to be playing a ton of minutes, uh, I do expect him, you know, he's he's never played over 29 minutes per game uh, throughout his career. Someone that I think can definitely see a boost um, in, in minutes with Batum out. Uh, so I, I, I do think that when it comes to that, uh, he's going to get, more opportunities and more opportunities are going to be more fantasy points. And when you get them at a cheap price in DFS early on in the season, he's going to be that tournament play that you kind of want to go to uh, simply because the ownership is really not going to be there. I don't think, and there is a ton of upside while there is downside. uh, So I would only be considering him in in tournaments. Of course, Uh, I do think that the peripheral stats establish a nice floor as well as nice upside uh, considering how much time I expect him to be playing early in the season. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on on the GPP aspect of thing. I think if, you know, Malik, I'm sorry, if uh, Jeremy Lamb is going to be, you know, sort of the chalk play that everybody's going to look towards with Batum out, I think that Kid Grilchrist is the perfect, you know, sort of arbitrage play off of Jeremy Lamb. So he'll probably come with much lower ownership, but I agree that with his defensive statistics, he could definitely have just as high of an upside. So I, I really like that call. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think the, the defensive side of things is what's going to increase that upside. And to me, their floors are pretty similar. Maybe Lamb has a little bit higher floor, but ceiling-wise, I think they're both right there. And maybe, you know, you got to give uh, Kid Gilchrist a little bit higher of a ceiling because of what he does defensively. All right, let's talk X-Factors. Mine for this team is going to be Frank Kaminsky. There's really not a ton of minutes to go around at the big man spots this year. They obviously brought in Dwight Howard, um, who I guess we should probably talk about him for a little bit too. But uh, I think Kaminsky, when given the chance last year, was really impressive. So I would like to see him earn some more minutes this year, if that means, you know, at backup center, or, or starting power forward even. I mean, Marvin Williams is fine, and he gives you some floor spacing, but I think that Kaminsky is a much higher ceiling version of Marvin Williams. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping for him to get some more minutes this year, and he's somebody that I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on. 
Yeah, I think that's a good call. I think Kaminsky does offer a little bit more upside, a little bit more offensive, uh, you know, co- contribution here. Uh, it's just a matter of whether he gets the minutes or not. And I think we can see him getting the minutes early on because I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Marvin Williams play the three at times, uh, depending on how they run their lineups. So we could see Kaminsky uh, play a little bit, you know, more minutes when they when they shuffle around this lineup. Not saying it's going to happen on a night to night basis, but someone that if he does get the opportunity can definitely produce uh, here. But like you mentioned, you know, with Dwight Howard uh, at, at the five, I don't think Kaminsky's going to see a ton of minutes this season at the five because they also have Cody Zeller. So uh, it's a matter of opportunity to me. If Mar- Marvin Williams, you know, does go down with injury, and like you mentioned earlier, we don't. You know, we're not hoping for injuries, but, you know, it is part of the game. So if he does go down with an injury, uh, Frank Kaminsky could be a big, big factor of this uh, Hornets team uh, this season. All right. What about your X factor? My X factor is, it, to me, it's it, the wings. You know, uh, it depends on how they play uh, during Batum's absence because it is going to play a big role on what this team does in the East. You know, if they fall too far behind – uh, early in the season, it might be a struggle to come back. Like we mentioned, this is a weak East, uh, you know, uh, conference. But if this team starts off way, way, way too, uh, you know, too, too poorly, like we saw the Heat last season, even if they have a, a phenomenal second half of the season, uh, it could, you know, hurt them as far as their playoff hopes uh, are concerned, or or at least seeding to to put them in a, in, in a good spot to make any run in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, a key factor for them, for sure. I, I, For my hot take, I'm just going to get right into it. This is the team I had winning this division. Um, I, I obviously felt a lot better about that call before Batum got hurt. But I think at plus 600 odds, I think that this is definitely a team to consider uh, if, you, if you're someone who likes to make a wager from time to time. You know, the sharp money is on the over. This team clearly underperformed last year with their record. Um, you know, Kevin Pelton does the real plus minus projections and he had the Hornets at 44.1, which wasn't far off from the Wizards 47.5. So I think that this team, if everything breaks right for them, could win the division. Um, you know, that does require, you know, certain things definitely going in their favor. Maybe Malik Monk is another potential breakout. We haven't even mentioned him. Maybe Dwight Howard turns back the clock. But I, I think that this team, after sort of going through a worst-case scenario last year, can possibly have the opposite hap- uh, happen to them this year. Yeah, I, I think I think that's, you know, that's a bold call for sure, and that's why we call it a hot take. So um, to me, it, I, I, I still think the Heat take this, you know, this division. Uh, so I can't agree with you there. But right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I do see, you know, Hornets taking the division. Um, you know, for sure. Uh, my hot take is MKG will have a career year this season. Uh, you know, he's still young. Uh, like I mentioned, I don't think we've seen his seating just yet. 24 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, gonna play, in my opinion, over 30 minutes per game for the first time in his career. So, uh, I do think we're gonna see the best of him this season. Uh, and I think he's gonna make for a Great, great return on investment in season long. And it's going to be someone that's helping people win uh, DFS tournaments early in the season. All right. 
Let's finish up the division with the Orlando Magic. They are coached by Frank Vogel. This is his second year with the team. Uh, last year was a definitely a down year for them. They were 29 and 53. Uh, poor both offensively and defensively. Their offensive efficiency was 101.2. That ranked 29th. Def- defensive efficiency 108.1. That was 24th. They also did play at a somewhat fast pace at 99.1, which is above league average. I shouldn't say it's fast, but it's above league average, which doesn't seem smart when you're below average on both offense and defense, but yet it is what they decided to do. Um, this year, Vegas has their over-under set at 33.5 wins with some uh, heavier juice on the underside of that bet, and they are plus 5,000 to win the division, plus 50,000 to win the East, and plus 100,000 to win the title. Uh, another team with not a tremendous amount of turnover. The biggest move was drafting Jonathan Isaac, who a lot of people have a big, uh, you know, think very highly of, but he might be a little bit of a project as far as the NBA goes, at least for his rookie season. They also brought in Aaron Aflalo, Jonathan Simmons, Maurice Spates, and Shelvin Mack. The only departures of note were Jeff Green, CJ Watson, and Jody Meeks. So let's start with Alfred Payton. Uh, he's sort of an interesting player, probably one of the most unique guys in the league. What do you think about him this year? Could you see him making a leap? I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, depends on what you're expecting. Because I think from a, a, an offensive standpoint, I think it, you're going to get what you're going to get. You know, I don't think he's going to ever be that guy that averages 20 points a game or even 18, 16, 17, 18 you know, points a game. I think you're going to see him between the 12 and 15 point per game. A range that we've seen in the past. I do like the fact, though, that the peripherals are there. Uh, he's going to get you assist. He's going to grab boards. He's going to steal a ball. Um, you, oddly, from from a from a point guard standpoint, he shoots very poorly from the free throw. It's you know at six hundred and ninety-two percent last year, uh, and and does offensively though shoots four seventy-one from the field. So not that bad. It was his best you know year as far as field goal percentage is concerned. And also at 692 was his best free throw percentage concern. If he could continue moving up uh, those percentages, I think we can definitely see uh, a, a better season this year. But from an offensive standpoint, I don't think he's going to really uh, grow much from what we saw last year from that 12.8 uh, points per game. I think you're going to see that range, you know, and I think his ceiling, in my opinion, is maybe 15 points per game. But I do like the fact that and I think that it kind of goes overlooked what he does across the board, you know, as far as steals is concerned, we've seen him, you know, uh, half a block a game last year, 6.5 assists, uh, which is pretty much on par with what he's done throughout his, you know, career. 4.7 rebounds to me was a, a big thing. And we saw him triple double several times last season. So I do think he does offer that upside, but it is, he is a very volatile uh, DFS play on a week, you know, on a nightly basis. Yeah, he is um, probably one of my favorite GPP plays in the league, especially when he's starting and he's not in the doghouse, because that is something you have to consider. There were times last year when when Frank Vogel would move him to the bench and would give DJ Augustine the majority of the minutes. So as long as Pe- uh, Peyton is in a good place with the coaching staff, I think he's got as much upside as anyone um, in his price range, at least. And, you know, you mentioned his offensive numbers are poor. He really can't shoot the ball, which is uh, obviously a big deal, but he's so good at getting to the rim that he can do enough to, you know, get to that 20-point barrier on occasion. 
which is why, you know, to go with his strong peripherals, I think he's such a great GPP play. I'm not sure if he's somebody I really want to invest in on my season-long teams, unless I'm punting the free-throw percentage category. Um, but I do think that, you know, more often than not, if the Magic are on the slate, he's going to be somebody that I'm going to at least consider for my GPP rosters. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He's not someone I'm fully investing in in uh in season long simply because you know we mentioned you know he he will hurt you in free throw for, for as far as a point guard is concerned he does turn the ball over doesn't score a ton of points um and he's just not consistent enough for me to feel comfortable rostering him in my season long on a night-to-night basis because you know at the end of the day basketball is night-to-night basis so you have to consider that when you're playing these you know when you're picking these players in, in your teams because if uh, he's going to, yeah, give you a triple-double one night, but then the rest of the night shoot for, you know, 25% from the field. It's really going to hurt you. Uh, you're, you're, at the end of the week, it's going to hurt your field goal percentage, your free-throw percentage, uh, your your turnovers, your points. So uh, something to definitely consider, which is why I, I like, I agree with you. I, I, I like targeting him in DFS, in GPPs for that reason, because I typically don't have a ton of him in my season-long leagues. All right, let's talk about a guy who's a little bit more consistent, uh, Nick Vucevic. If you listened to the podcast last year or even the year prior, he's somebody that I routinely play, uh, especially on DraftKings. It seemed like he was always underpriced, and all he would do is go out and get you a you know a double double and and about forty DK points. So, is this the year that Nick Vucevic finally gets some respect? I still think he's gonna go overlooked. You know, I just don't think he's a popular. Uh, name. I don't think people kind of. I don't think people dig into the numbers and really see what he does. Like you mentioned, this is someone that was almost always underpriced, almost always underowned, yet found a way to score anywhere between thirty and forty fantasy points. He was second in Orlando with a twenty-four point three usage rate, accounting for the highest field goal percentage. Um, made had the highest rebound percentage. Uh, 35.1% of Orlando's blocks came from him. He was consistent, pretty much guaranteed a double-double. Um, someone that I like in both season-long and someone I like targeting in DFS as well, simply because I feel that there's both a high floor and a high ceiling, and yet he still goes overlooked and typically is under own on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, and I guess maybe people feel uneasy about the minutes. He he did only average uh, 28.8 minutes last year, and they do have uh, a decent backup there in Bismack Biombo. But for me, this is still the guy. Uh, I think that, you know, going forward, they, he should see the majority of the center minutes. All right, let's... Yeah, I uh, think so. Let's talk about some other guys on this team. Anybody else really intrigue you on Orlando? I, I, I want to see a little bit more of Aaron Gordon. You know, he's an athletic guy. And you, you, we saw him in the dunk contest a couple of years ago. And you're expecting him to just be this superstar. But uh, I think the minute, the inconsistent minutes is concerning. I think that's going to cap his, his ceiling. Um, but I do I do think that, you know, he is someone I'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Kind of might take my shots in him as season long. And someone that... On in the right matchups, I am going to target in the DFS because he is usually uh, very cheap, and you know when he has a ceiling game, he's going to just smash the value uh, on his price tag. So someone that I do think 
um, you know, kind of make some sense early on in DFS in good matchups and in season longs, if you can get them late, does have that upside, does have potential to be a very, very good player in this league. It's just a matter of he's going to get consistent minutes on a night-to-night basis, which we didn't see last season. And then Evan Fournier, you know, very, very uh, surprising, uh, had a big role uh, on this offense last year. Um, we saw him with a 23.3% usage rate uh, right behind Nick, you know, Vucevic uh, here. So I think he's going to continue to see the big role here. I think he's someone that kind of goes under the radar on most nights in DFS. And then even in season long, he kind of goes under the radar. So um, two guys I I have, you know, some high expectations for, some guys that I want to see continue to develop uh, on this offense and continue to grow um, it, it for the Magic. Yeah, Gordon to me is is the, more, the most interesting guy of the two. Um, after the Ibaka trade in particular, he was, you know, given a, a bigger chance and a chance to play power forward, which I think is his more natural position. He averaged just under a DK point per minute and and played about 31 minutes per game. If he could do that again, I think we'd be very happy with what we're going to typically have to pay for him or invest for him in a season-long league. The only issue is that I I think that Jonathan Isaac kind of projects as Aaron Gordon 2.0. You know, he's a long lanky guy with super athleticism can jump through the gym and a questionable jump shot so you know I don't know if now that means that they're going to look to get him more involved instead of Gordon but you know I I think that you know they're just so similar it's going to be tough to play those guys on the court at the same time especially if you're also going to be playing them with Alfred Payton that just sounds like a disaster in terms of you know spacing and and trying to unclog the lane yeah and i think that's a great point i really do i think that and that's why i kind of like go back and say okay if gordon does get these minutes because we don't know if he's going to get these minutes we saw last season they were very inconsistent you know night there was nights that he played big minutes and nights that he you know played 22 23 minutes and you're like you know what just happened so um isaac does bring a different dynamic here very similar to what aaron gordon does so um, if Gordon is in the doghouse one night, we can see Isaac have a ton of minutes and vice versa. So I think it's going to be a very unpredictable, um, you know, situation to, to kind of gauge early in the season. But I think as time goes, we'll get a little bit more, uh, of an idea to what, uh, to what to expect from this, you know, power forward position for the magic. And the, my only concern with Fournier is that they have a lot of depth on the wing this season, despite, not having a ton of depth overall. You know, they, they traded for Terrence Ross last year, and I, it looks like he's going to start at shooting guard. They still have Mario Hazonia, who was an early first-round pick. And then they signed uh, Aaron Aflalo and Jonathan Simmons, who is my X-factor for this team. Um, he was somebody that was impressive for the Spurs in the playoffs. He never really got a consistent chance to play a ton of minutes over there, but he was someone that I thought was was just a solid per minute type of guy. So it'll be interesting to see if he can carve out a little bit of a bigger role for himself this year in Orlando. Yeah, I think that's that's a great call. And and I kind of have him as my X factor as well, Jonathan Simmons, uh, simply because what you mentioned, you know, he was a good point per minute guy, someone who I think plays, you know, solid defense and, and could be, a, a big you know factor in what the magic do and, and what you know what where they end up uh here in the east so uh, 
am I expecting huge things out of him? Not necessarily, uh, but I do think he is going to cut into, like you mentioned, you know, maybe some Evan Fournier uh, minutes, and and he will have contributions to the wings here uh, for the Magic. All right, let's let's finish this off with a hot take. Well, this is not really a hot take, but uh, I think Peyton, you know, is going to continue to improve. I think he's going to be. He's going to take that next step as an all-around player. And like I mentioned before, I don't expect him to do much else uh, offensively. As far as points, I'm not expecting 20 points per game. But I do expect his, you know, or I'm hoping his field goal percentage increases. Like we saw it last year, his free throw percentage increases. And, uh, you know, we're going to see him be more consistent on a night-to-night basis this year. Uh, so I do, I do expect that. Like I said, it's not really a hot take, but... Uh, I, I, I am expecting him to just become a little bit more of a consistent player uh, for Orlando this season. All right, I'm right there with you. I'm just going to go ahead and put some numbers on it to make it official. I think that this season he averages 16 points per game and 8 assists per game. So I don't think that's super bold. I've definitely made hotter takes on this podcast. Uh, but I think that if he did return those kind of numbers, you'd be very happy with what you know, you're going to have to pay for him uh, early in the season in DFS and, and in your redraft leagues. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Um, I, I do think that uh, those are not, you know, numbers that are far-fetched. I, I think there's certainly possible. I think that's more of his ceiling. Uh, but, hey, uh, we've seen players hit their ceilings uh, many times in the past before. So I, I like that call. And uh, it kind of gives me some confidence as far as my pain uh, take <laughs> this year as well because i do have high expectations for him all righty that's gonna do it for this edition of on the daily uh for armando who you can find on twitter at uh, armando underscore marsal i am matt lamarca on twitter at matt lamarca thanks for tuning in Thank you for listening to On The Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.